So I pray that our hearts would be stirred and right now our ears open to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So keep in mind that Jeremiah, as we're in chapter 3, he, he's speaking to the nation. And, and he, he said to them that you guys have committed harlotry. You've, you've committed spiritual adultery. You've gone up after um, you know, other lovers, those other gods. Uh, as he's using that analogy, you've played the harlot. And then he says that, that you have sinned like your sister Israel. Now keep in mind at this time that Israel... The ten northern tribes have gone off into captivity by the Assyrians. That happened in about 720 B.C. So here it is 80 years later, and as Jeremiah's given this message, he's given this message early in his ministry. He's given his message here during the days of Josiah. And during the days of Josiah, it would be that he would find the book of the law as you go back and read 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings towards the end of those books, where Josiah was the last of the good kings. He, he came after uh, Manasseh, who plunged the nation deep into idol worship and occultic kinds of practice. And Josiah, as he was presented by Hilkiah the priest and read to the book of the law, his heart was stricken. And so he called for reforms. He, he cleaned up the temple. He restored temple worship and, and renewed the Passover. And, and we see that there was a lot of religious activity, but it didn't really touch the hearts of the people. And here is Jeremiah that he's indicting the house of Judah. He said that, that you should have learned from your sister Israel. And you have even done worse than your sister Israel because the reason he says that, because Israel was plunged deep into idol worship and all their kings were uh, worshipers of Baal and Astaroth and those false gods. They didn't hide that. But here, Judah here, he says that you've not turned to me with your heart, but in pretense, that is you're pretending. There seems to be religiousness. Um, you're going through the motions, but mix in with it is, is false worship and spiritual adultery. So that's where he has gone with it. And he's continuing that message. And now it's going to lead to judgment that will come to you. You're going to go off into captivity. Now keep in mind as we go after chapter after chapter after chapter, as Jeremiah is given these warnings to the nation, God is pleading with them to turn back to him. That is God's desire. That is his heart. So the two words that that we see here in this chapter and in the chapter four is backslidden and then return. You have backslidden. I want you to return. And that's always the message of the Lord. That's the message of the Lord to us. If we've gone off into carnality or sin and or into the world, backslidden, he wants us to come back to him. He's a loving father that desires to receive us as we repent and turn to him. And that's what he's calling this nation to do. So as we left off at verse 16, uh, he is speaking about uh, the next couple of verses is going to speak about the kingdom age, as we read at verse 17, at that time Jerusalem shall be called the thorn of the Lord, and all the nations shall gather to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as an inheritance 
to your fathers. And so talking about the kingdom age um, here, that they will come together, uh, they will follow the Lord, uh, no more will they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. And then as we read in verse 19, but I said, how can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the host of nations? And I said, you call me my father and, turn, uh, and not turn away from me. So the time's going to come where you're going to call me my father. Now, this is very interesting uh, here in verse 19 because um, no uh, Israelite called God father. Matter of fact, when Jesus came on the scene and he started saying my father, what was the reaction of the religious leaders? They were upset. They were incensed about that. How dare he call God his father? And you see, the religious leaders revered the name of the Lord so much that they, they pronounced it Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, no vowel, so you couldn't pronounce it. Describes whenever they would write uh, the name of the Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized that you see in the Old Testament, they would go through a washing ceremony. And, and they just revered the name of the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. And here comes Jesus, and he begins to call God his Father. And you recall that as uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, how did Jesus respond? He said, when you pray, pray in this matter. Our Father who art in heaven... So that was a real radical thing. And as we consider this, in the Old Testament, um, he would claim to be a father to a nation. Uh, that is, he would say, Israel is a son, uh, my son, in Exodus chapter 4. But individually, he never called David a son. He called him a servant. He never called Moses uh, my servant. And in the day in which we are living in, the church, you and I as Christians, on this side of the cross, that we have the privilege to be able to, to call out to our Father, to call out Abba, Father. John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe on his name. And we know that in, in Galatians chapter 4, that Paul would write, that to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Literally, as you know, we've gone over this before. It, it means Papa, literally Papa. We can cry out Papa. You see, the Christian, the one who has faith in Jesus Christ, we're the only ones that truly can call out to, to God as Father, you're my Father, and therefore you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Paul would write in Romans, after he wrote Galatians, in Romans chapter 8, that we don't have the spirit of fear, but we have the spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father. He says, says the same thing. And once in a while, I'll run into a Christian. They have this unhealthy fear of the Lord. Now, we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord as we continue. But what does that mean? A reverence for the Lord. But sometimes Christians can have this unhealthy fear of the Lord, like God's out to get them. And God wants to, you know, uh, judge them all the time. And, and just this kind of this terror. Kind of like God's a mean old man up in heaven leaning over the banister with the lightning bolts ready to get them. Listen, we don't have the spirit of fear. But you and I can cry out, Abba, Father. 
Isn't that a wonderful privilege? To say, Papa. And we are heirs to, to Christ. We are sons and daughters of the living God. And what an incredible relationship that we have. So he says, the time's going to come when you shall call me my father and not turn away from me. And as we continue here in verse 20, surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. A voice was heard on the desolate heights, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way. And they have forgotten the Lord their God. And return you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. In verse 23, truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So God will heal and help and change you to where you won't be captivated and enslaved to sin. He is our help. Remember the psalmist wrote, I believe in Psalm 46, that he is our help, a very present help. You know what that means? It means that he is our help right now. When we cry out, Lord, I need you. I need you. He is our help. He doesn't say, well, sorry, I can't help you. Maybe come back next week. Come back and see me then. Maybe, maybe I'll help you. He's our very present help. In time of trouble, as the psalmist would write. And he is our help every day of our lives as we look to him and as we allow him to work in our lives. He wants to help us. I think of what the psalmist writes in Psalm 121, that I lift my eyes to the hills from what? From whence comes my help. My help comes from you, Lord. And he is there to remind us, even as we go through Jeremiah, through his word, that he is our help, a very present help in time of need. And maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, I need help. I need help emotionally, spiritually. I need help in, in, in practical ways. Lord, I just need help. Go to your Father and call out to him and look to him. He loves you so much. You know, that's one of the things that we know as parents, don't we, that our children come to us when they need help, we want them to come. I want my kids, even though they're adults, to still come to me and, and ask for help. They come to me and they, they don't fear me, have a terror of me, but they come, Dad. You know, they come to, to Sue, Mom, I need this. And they know that they can come and talk to us. And we, we know that as, as parents, we want to be available to our children. How much more... Our Heavenly Father wants you to come to Him. And here's the thing that can happen, is that when we go through trials and we go through troubles and tribulations, we can begin to pull away from the Lord. Remember when Paul said in Romans chapter 8, is well known, he said, what can separate us from the love of God? Can tribulation and, and famine and, and pearl and you know, peril and, and um, difficulties, can that separate us? And whenever we go through tribulations and we go through famine and we go through distress, and Paul the apostle knew all about that in his ministry, but whenever we go through difficulties, we begin to think, Lord, you must not love me. 
What did I do wrong? You don't care about me. Do you see what it is that I'm going through? That's just a natural kind of thought that we can think. And here Paul is saying, what can separate it? I'm convinced that none of those things will. So don't ever think because you're going through trials or difficulties or loss or famine or whatever the case may be. That the Lord doesn't love you. He still loves you. His love remains, will always remain. And you can go to him. And you can call out to him. And you can rest in his promises that he has for you. So here, turn to me. I'll be your help. And verse 24, for the shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from your youth. Their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. We lie down in our shame and our reproach covers us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God and we and our fathers from our youth even to this day. And have not obeyed the voice of our uh, Lord our God. So it had um, not been the uh, God's people, the uh, Judah, that had humbled themselves. Uh, they hadn't done that. They hadn't confessed their sin. And so we continue here in chapter 4. If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. So you see that word. He says, you backslidden, now I want you to return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth and judgment, in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. And so verse 3, and thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up the fallow ground and do not sow among the thorns. Uh, They were not confessing. They were being dishonest. They would say the Lord lives. They were being religious, but their hearts were far from the Lord. Uh, It's like a person who can say, praise the Lord. We can bring our Bibles and praise the Lord and quote the scriptures and sing the songs. But where's our hearts? Where's our hearts towards the Lord? So the Lord says something very important for us to consider here tonight. That he calls them to break up the fallow ground of their hearts. Their hearts were like hard, neglected field that was full of weeds. Think of the field out here that we park on. It's all packed down, isn't it? It's all hard, and, and, and that's the way their, their hearts were. And as we go to the Gospels, and Jesus tells that parable of the sower, we know that he tells us that the heart is like soil, and, and the, the, the Word of God is like the seed that's planted there. And, and he would tell of the different kind, the, the seed that is uh, there sown among the different types of soil in that parable that you're familiar with. And some seed would, would fall upon the field um, that the thorns came choking out what would uh, come up in their lives. And, and Jesus would say that the ground uh, was hard to where there was no root that uh, was deep as the plant came up. It endured only for a short time because uh, the sun came out and withered away the plant. You know why it's so important for you and for me to get the Word of God, our hearts like fertile soil, not like hard, stony soil, because we want the Word of God to take root there and get deep in our hearts because the sun's going to come out, the trials will come our way, and if we're not grounded in the Word of God, we begin to wither away. You see, the problem isn't the sun. 
The problem is the shallow root system. And all of us will have the sun beating on us, the trials and difficulties that will come our way. We know that to be true, those of us who are here. And it's so critical that we have a deep root system with the Word of God. So he's talking about that. They withered away. And then another soil was seed sown among the thorns and the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches chokes out the Word. And what can happen to us, again, is the Word of God takes uh, root in our hearts, but then as it comes forth, all of a sudden, the things of the world and the cares of the world, uh, cares of life, he says, and we all have cares of life. I've taught on this before. And they're not necessarily bad, but they begin to choke out the Word of God from us. We begin to focus on other things and prioritize other things. And we get busy with life. And we all have things that we have to do. And and that's why I commend you guys on coming out on Wednesday nights to hear the word of God. We don't want the things of the world and deceitfulness and, and the cares of life to choke out the word of God. But rather we want to have that that heart of good soil, the uh, the Word takes root and produces fruit. So how do we have good soil? How do we have a tender heart? Well, it's desiring to know him. It's desiring to please him and to walk with him. It is coming and confessing our sin. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is confession important? It's important because what it means, that word confession, is in agreement with. That's what it literally means. I am in agreement with you, Lord, that this is wrong. And what happens is the enemy in the world wants to build this wall between us and the Lord. And as we come in humility, and they weren't coming in humility, and we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, my attitude, my actions, whatever the case may be, is sinful and it's wrong. And as we confess it, it begins to take down that wall. And it breaks it down in the hardness of our hearts to say, Lord, I'm in agreement with you, not making excuses, but saying, Lord, I have done wrong. I have sinned. And that's what he's wanting them to do, to come back to him, to be in agreement that what they did was wrong, to be teachable. So that's how we can have fertile soil. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know your word. I want to be teachable. And and when I am corrected and chastened by you, I want to receive that. And I am to receive it because you love me. You love me. And you want what's best for me. And I know that your commandments, and we'll talk a little bit about it on Sunday, that, you know, the Lord says in 1 John also that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, but his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, his commandments given to us are not burdensome. And every commandment that the Lord gives to you, understand this. Please make it your own, that it's an expression of his love. He doesn't tell us how to live in righteousness and how to live so he can burden us. So that he can free us. And we can live rightly and experience that abundant life that he has for us. And when we begin to understand that and humble ourselves before the Lord and confess that which is wrong in our lives, man, you're going to see the Lord working in your life in a powerful way and drawing you to him. And he's going to become more real than ever before. Break up the, the fallow ground of your heart. It's not just going through religious activity. and You're coming to me in pretense, he says, but you haven't really given your hearts to me. 
And he continues here with the analogy, verse 4, he says, that circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doing. So in verse 4, we know that the Jews were circumcised on the eighth day, and they thought that, hey, we're circumcised under the covenant. It's guarantee for salvation. Uh, we're God's covenant people. But the Lord says, you need to circumcise your heart. And of course, as we go to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would write in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, that circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. We know in Philippians, in the prison epistles, that the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Philippians, he's writing those who, um, you know, were trying to get the... the uh, Gentiles to be circumcised. And in chapter 3, he says, Beware of the dogs. <laughs> Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision, listen, who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He's writing to the Philippian church and he's saying, Listen, who's of the true circumcision? Those who worship God in spirit. As you come here and as you worship and have a heart of worship, remember Jesus said that the Father's looking for those to worship him in truth and in spirit. And he's talking to the Samaritan woman. Those who worship him with their hearts, that have the praise of God in their hearts, rejoice in Christ Jesus. We are to rejoice in what he's done for us, the provision that he's provided as he has redeemed us. He's made provision for forgiveness of sin and then have no confidence in the flesh. We don't have confidence in our own flesh. And then Paul goes on to say, if anybody had confidence in the flesh, it was me. I was more religious than anybody. I was a Pharisee of Pharisee and of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, he goes on to say. But he says, all those things I count as loss for the excellence and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you see, we don't have confidence in the flesh. We have confidence in Jesus, right? And so circumcise, cut the, the you know, um, foreskins of your heart. Those things that are fleshly. What fleshly things are in our heart? The Lord is saying, get rid of it. Get rid of it and turn to me. And then he talks about this imminent invasion that's going to come as we continue in verse 5. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet and in the land cry, gather together and say, Assemble yourselves and let us go into the fortified cities. Set up the standard towards Zion. Take refuge, do not delay. For I will bring disaster from the north and a great destruction. And the lion has come up from his thicket and the destroyer of nations is on his way. And he's gone forth from his place to make your land desolate. Your cities will be laid waste without inhabitant. For this, clothe yourself with sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. So the sound of the trumpet, and, and as you go to Numbers chapter 10, I believe, that in the Old Testament, that there was the sound of the trumpets and different messages that were given. And part of the sound of the trumpet, when, when it was blown in a certain way, was to alert the people. That danger is coming. Uh, we're going to read in Ezekiel that uh, the watchman on the wall. 
And part of the responsibility of the watchman on the wall, it was to look out to see if there's any danger. And he had a responsibility to blow the trumpet to alert the people that the enemy's coming or danger is imminent. And, and as we will go through the book of Ezekiel, that Ezekiel is told that if the watchman doesn't do it, then, you know, the blood of the people are on his hands. Listen, you and I are watchmen, watch women. We're to be watching out for and sound the alert of danger, of deception, of that which will lead us astray. That's all around us. And we need to alert our kids and, and those around us. We are to be watchmen on the wall. And I love that analogy. And I pray that we are here at Calvary Chapel, just watchmen, giving that alert. Hey, there's danger. This is going to deceive you. This is going to lead you astray. And here they are going to see this this invasion that's going to come by Babylon, they will be like a, a fierce lion is what um, the, uh, the analogy is here. And then in, in verse 9, and it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish and the heart of princes and the priests shall be astonished and the prophets shall wonder. And then I said, ah, Lord God, surely you have greatly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying you shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches to the heart. So there were the false prophets that were on the scene. You need to keep this in mind as we go through this. And what they were doing is they were telling the, the people of Judah that there's going to be peace and don't worry about anything. And, and we get the indication from Jeremiah and also we will see it with Ezekiel that they had this health and, and wealth prosperity message that they were given to the people. Matter of fact, Ezekiel, that he says that they uh, were saying the temple, the temple. They were putting their trust in the temple, in the building. Nothing's going to happen to us because we got the temple. Nothing's going to happen to us. You know, this, even though Ezekiel, he goes into captivity in 597 BC, as we talk about the captivity of Babylon, there is three sieges that took place. First in 605 BC, as Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem, takes the choice men of Judah back to Babylon. That's Daniel and his friends. And then a second captivity that took place, uh, the second siege in 597 BC, where Ezekiel would go off into captivity. Some of the, the, the treasuries and uh, those vessels of Solomon's temple would go back to Babylon as well. And then it was in 605 BC that Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed Jerusalem. So three sieges, three uh, waves of captivity that would take place. And even after 605 B.C., after Ezekiel was taken off, they were still saying that captivity is only going to be for a few years. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. God's going to deal with Babylon. It, it, it won't last long. And it ended up lasting 70 years. So the Lord, we will see later on in Jeremiah, that he will say that, listen, go into, as you go into captivity, plant vineyards, you know, plant gardens, have children. You're going to be there for a little bit. But I haven't forgotten about you. And I know my thoughts towards you, says the Lord. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. If you're here tonight and you feel like that I'm just in captivity, Lord, do you still see me? Do I have a future? He says to you tonight that I know my thoughts towards you. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope.
And those who call on me, then I will hear. And as you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. He desires to work in your life. And his thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace. He wanted them to remain in peace, but they were rebelling against him. They were giving heed to to that which was false, the false prophets and the false message. You see, even today as we're going to finish 2 Timothy, it's going to be Paul that's going to write that the time's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You know that's a major theme of Paul to Timothy, right? Sound doctrine, but they're not going to endure it. For they're going to have itchy ears heaping up for themselves, you know, myths and fables, teachers for themselves. But Timothy, you must continue, as we've seen, preach the word in season, out of season. And we want to be careful that we're not taken away from that which is false and myths and fables and all of that, having our ears wanting to be tickled, but to remain in sound doctrine. Remember that in Proverbs chapter 1, and when it speaks of God's wisdom, at the end of that chapter, it tells us that there's safety and security in God's wisdom, and there truly is. So as we continue in verse 11, at that time, it will be said to the people and to Jerusalem, a dry wind of the desolate heights blows in the wilderness towards the daughter of my people, not to fan or to cleanse. A wind too strong for these will come to me. Now I will also speak judgment against them. And behold, he shall come up like clouds and his chariot like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are plundered. Uh, They will realize that the judgment is coming on them very quickly. Whenever you read that word woe, as you do at the end of verse 13, um, it is bad news. It is not good. In verse 14, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness, that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan, that's up north, and proclaims the affliction from Mount Ephraim. Make mention of the nations, yes, proclaim against Jerusalem, that the watchers come from a far country. They raise their voice against the cities of Judah. And so as we read these verses here, turn and give your heart to the Lord. Um, The destruction of Jerusalem was still a number of ways away. But it's interesting here that he he talks about um, the watchers in verse 16 come from a far country. Uh, Verse 17, like keepers of a field, they are against her all around. Around because she has been rebellious against me, says the Lord. Your ways and your doings have uh, pu- procured these things for you. This is your wickedness because it is bitter, because it reaches to your heart. Uh, the watchers that's being spoken of were spies. Now the keepers of the field watched the crop. They, they would watch it to make sure that bands of raiders didn't come in and, and take the crops. So here what they're being told is that the watchers, they're they're spies, the Babylonians have watched you and they've pitched their tent all around you. They come in and they're studying you and watching you and then they're going to come upon you very quickly and swiftly. Do you know the enemy Satan watches us? Remember in Job chapter 1, when uh, the sons of God uh, the, uh, were um, little S and G, were presenting themselves before the Lord, and there was Satan, and the Lord said to Satan, Hey, where have you been? Oh, to and fro across the whole earth. Have you considered my servant Job? And what was the answer? 
that Satan gave. He said, yes, I've studied him. I've considered him. I've watched him. And it's actually a military term of a general that would watch and study the, you know, the, the, the person that they were going to attack. And, and you see, Satan was studying Job. I, I've watched him. You put a hedge around him. You've protected him. And then we know that what happens after that. But it's interesting. But what it tells me is that the enemy considers you. He's watching. He's studying you, your weaknesses, how he can get a foothold into your life, how he can, and, you know, get into your marriage, in your family, in your service to the Lord, in your effectiveness to witness for the Lord, in your walk with the Lord. He, he studies you and me. He's watching us, and we need to remember that. And you recall that I used the illustration, and I think it's, it's worth reminding you of it, that when Jesus, when he was in the garden praying, and he told the, the disciples, the three that were with him, that stay here and, and watch and pray. And he comes back three times, and they're sleeping. He said, couldn't you watch for one hour? Uh, watch and, 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 and pray. Watch, because the enemy's coming. And as they were sleeping, guess who was coming? Judas and the detachment of troops walking across the Kidron Valley into the garden to, to come and arrest Jesus. And that's why we're exhorted so often in the scriptures to what? To watch. Make sure that you watch. Put on the whole armor of God, because the enemy, he, he is watching us. And so in verse 19, Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pain. In my very heart, my heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard my, my soul. Uh, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, the destruction upon destruction is cried. For the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tents are plundered and my curtains in a moment. How long will I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? As we see here that, uh, you know, Jeremiah, he says, my heart makes a noise in me. I can't hold my peace. He's the weeping prophet. He sees so total destruction of Judah. Isaiah wept as well. Remember that when we went through Isaiah? So what's our attitude? To the people around us that are lost, do we weep? Do we weep for our nation, seeing what's going on in our nation? Or are we kind of like, well, you know, just let God judge them and separate them? Kind of that attitude, God is going to judge. And he will judge sin and he will judge nations. But do we weep for those around us who are lost? Do we weep for our nation? Jeremiah did. He's not saying this angrily. He's saying this with, with tears in his eyes. And for my people are foolish and they have not known me. They are silly children. They have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. In verse 22, they didn't know him personally. They had no understanding to do good. And then beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void. In the heavens they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled. And all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man. And all the birds of the heavens have fled. And I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness and all its cities were broken down in the presence of the Lord at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger as reference to the Babylonian invasion in verse 27 and we'll finish the chapter for thus says the Lord the whole land shall be desolate yet I will not make a full end 
For this shall be the earth mourn and heavens above be black because I have spoken. I have purpose and will not relent nor will I turn back from it. The whole city shall flee from the noise of the horsemen and, and bowmen and they shall go into thickets and climb up on the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken and not a man shall dwell in it. And when you are plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, in vain you will make yourself fair. Your lovers will despise you, and they will seek your life. For I have heard a voice of a woman in labor, the anguish of her who brings forth her first child, the voice of a daughter of Zion, bewailing herself. She spreads her hands, saying, Woe is me now, for my soul is weary because of my murderers. You know, verse 31, it says that the woman's in labor brings forth her child. That this is speaking of the Babylonian invasion, but some say that it may be a reference to the tribulation period. Because the signs is the day of the Lord is what? Like labor pains. Is what we are told. Jesus said that. Paul writes about that. And as we see it around us, we know what the Bible says is going to take place in the last days. So you and I, as we realize that, that those things will come to pass, we can be ones that we desire to bring truth to others, that we would be a light to them, and that we would have a heart for the lost. Because even as we know that it was still time before Jerusalem was going to be judged and, and destruction would come, I don't know how much time that we have before the Lord comes and takes the church. It could be at any time. We don't know the day or the hour. But every day, every day, looking to him. Every day, walking with him. And every day, being a light to others. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for um, this word given to us. And I thank you that we can study these things, not that the message can be kind of heavy, but it says something to us here today, how we are to be watching, how we are to be wise, and Lord, have hearts that are soft before you. To cut away the... the foreskins of our hearts, the fleshly things that are there, to humble ourselves, Lord, before you. And I hope and I pray that's all of our hearts, Lord, to draw close to you because we are rushing towards eternity. And we are rushing towards a time where, um, as the labor pains have been happening and will come to full culmination in that final period called the tribulation period. And we will see the birth of these judgments that will come. But we will also see a birth of a kingdom that will follow. So Lord, we thank you that we have a glorious future. And as we look at those around us, may we have a heart for those who are lost. And Father, I pray that if anyone is here that may be in pretense, maybe you're listening or hear this message later in pretense. You're trying to be religious, but do you know the Lord? Have you come to him? Have you really said, I need Jesus. I want you to be my personal Lord and Savior and forgive me, Lord, to save me because I know that's my only hope. You are my salvation, Jesus. You provided for me. It's not trying to be religious or 
trying to do rituals or any of those things. It's relationship with him. So I do want to pray for anyone's listening that you've never come to Jesus Christ by faith and ask for forgiveness and for him to sit upon the throne of your heart as your Lord and Savior. Please do so right now because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And the Lord is coming back. And so you have the message of the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again and he's alive. And he came to bring you forgiveness as he died on the cross for you and to bring you the hope of eternal life and right relationship with the Father. You can come to him right now, right where you're sitting or where you're listening, that Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. I come to you. I repent. I quit going the direction I'm going, and I turn to you because you're my hope. I believe that. You died for my sins on the cross, and you're alive, speaking to my heart, and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you and learn of you. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I thank you that I can now cry out, Abba, Father to you. And Father, I pray for us that we would be a light to others around us. Again, we just pray for for us here that we would be ones that would be flexible in ministering to others. And Lord, that we would take the time to share with them, to comfort them, to bless them, to share truth with them. So Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.